Let's begin with a word of prayer, please. God, we thank you so much for uh, your love for us. We thank you for a beautiful day today and for the opportunity we have to worship you together as a community. And I thank you for friends here, a good way across the country and uh, for the community that uh, we see because we share you. Uh, and so, God, I just uh, pray now that as we spend some time in your word, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through me this morning, uh, that you would uh, help us to uh, evaluate our lives a bit, help us to look at ourselves and uh, in light of who you are. Uh, thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, it's a joy to be with you all today. And this morning, I'd like to share with you a passage of scripture that is probably familiar to many of us, but maybe look at it from a little different light. And I think within it, we'll see some things about priorities. And I think we'll see some things that are important to us, I think, as a seminary for our students to embrace and to take into life and to ministry with them. And so I'd like to start today by reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And this is a story about an encounter that two sisters had with Jesus. And so let's read that to begin with, and then we will dive into that a little bit and see what God might have to teach us. It says this, Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed, indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, the first thing I'd like to do today is set context a little bit. It's important for us to realize what's taking place around this passage of Scripture, and I think it helps to add some depth to what's taking place today. So this encounter that we just read in Luke chapter 10 occurs the, the beginning of what is a very long travel narrative in the book of Luke. This travel narrative starts in chapter 9, verse 51, and goes all the way through chapter 19, verse 27. So basically, you know, 10 chapters worth of this traveling. And what it is is Jesus and his followers, and they're traveling back to Jerusalem. And this travel back to Jerusalem is the travel that brings Jesus back to the last week of his life in Jerusalem, to the final events of his life. And Jesus, I think, knows what's going on with that. So this travel narrative is important. It's kind of leading up to the last week of his life, and his followers are with him. And so a little further context in Luke 9.51, it says, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And I think that's important because Jesus knew what was facing him. And to set his face meant that he was resolute, that he was ready, he was prepared to go. And knowing what was there to face him, he was prepared to go. Also, as far as context goes, in 9.57 and 58, Jesus instructs those that would follow him that the journey with him must be their first priority. Jesus goes on in the beginning of chapter 10 and sends out the 70 or 72 with no provisions for their journey and insists that they depend on the hospitality of others in the towns that they go to. And then immediately preceding our story today, right before the story that we're going to talk about today, this important encounter takes place. An expert in the law, it tells us, stood up to test Jesus and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he was very good at doing, answered a question with a question and said, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And this expert in the law said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus answered him and said, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Now, I think that's an important thing for us to realize coming into this. This man who gives this answer that Jesus says is the right answer is drawing from his knowledge of Old Testament law. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And these two things, I think, are super important going into our story today, but also for us in life and for our students at places like Emmanuel. Those two things, loving God with all that we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But I also think beyond just those two things that the order of those is really important to Jesus, to us, and to our story today. They're in a correct order. In Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40, Jesus is again tested by an expert of the law who says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers this way, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we have these two things, these two commands, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And that there in a particular order is significant. And that brings us back to this context today because this man that stood up and asked Jesus, what must I do and inherit eternal life, then takes things a little further and says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And at this point, Jesus tells a very familiar story that we often call the the parable of the Good Samaritan. This man that is on a journey who is beat up and left for dead on the side of the road and the people that we would assume would stop and help him did not stop and help him. But someone that would have been culturally probably his enemy does stop and is merciful to him. Those are the things that take place right before today's passage. So keep those things in mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The story of the Good Samaritan. Those are important leading into today's story with Mary and Martha. And so the next thing I'd like to do is kind of look at our cast just a little bit, if you will, today. The people that are involved in the story. It says, as I read, now as they went on your way, some places say that Jesus and his disciples went on their way. We have to wonder who is represented by they. Of course, we know Jesus is a part of they, and from context, probably his closest followers, but maybe some others as well. The 70 or 72, depending on which one you read, have come back, some of them in return. So perhaps some of them are with him as well. But we know that it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and some company that are with him. And I don't know if that factors into Martha's anxiety or not. Perhaps it does. But we see that they are coming, Jesus and some others. The next person we meet in our cast is Martha, who initially uh, we find out that she welcomed Jesus into her home. And that's significant. The word here used for welcome is this word that meant a warmth and an affection. She was glad and thankful to be able to welcome Jesus and these others into her home. And Martha had a sister who's the third person that we find in our story today, her sister Mary. And we initially find out that she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has to say. So that's the context, that's the cast today. And what I'd like to do is make a few observations about the story that we might be able to use. Now, if I'm being honest, most of the time that I've heard this story, most of the time that I've read this story, most of the time that I've thought about this story, I've probably had my focus in the wrong place. The first observation I'd like to make is that Jesus should be the focus of this encounter. And that sounds almost counterintuitive. We think, of course, Jesus should be the focus of this story. But I think we have a tendency to read this story with a focus placed more on Martha and Mary than we do on Jesus. We tend to read it as Martha 
being wrong and Mary being right, or we tend to read it as as Martha versus Mary, or Martha being a villain and Mary being a hero. We tend to focus on those two more than we do on Jesus. However, in this story, as we already read, Jesus indicates that one thing is needed. And that one thing is what Mary did, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being close to Jesus, making Jesus our priority, making Jesus our focus. And so it occurs to me that to make anyone other than Jesus the focus of this story is almost humorous. And so I'd like for us to look a little bit at Jesus and how he relates to Mary and Martha in this story. Now, don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus was the initial focus of both Martha and Mary. Their focusing on Jesus was different. They did it in different ways, but I think they were both initially focused on Jesus. Martha was focused on Jesus initially with welcoming him into her home and performing duties that were presumably meant to show hospitality to a guest. She was initially focused on Jesus. I think Martha loses that focus and becomes focused on her task and herself and perhaps her sister as time goes by, but I think she started being initially focused on Jesus. And Mary, I think, was initially focused on Jesus by sitting at his feet and listening. And so as we look forward today, I would just like for us to look at Jesus and what he did in relationship to Martha and Mary in this story. And perhaps that gives some light on what Jesus does in our own life as well. So I'd like to start by focusing on what Jesus did in relationship to Mary. It's a little out of order chronologically, but I want to look at how he responded to Mary first and foremost. Verse 39 tells us that she, being Martha, had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. Now, when we focus on Jesus in this story, in this relationship to Mary, we find something interesting and something that we see in Jesus all throughout his life, that Jesus valued people. And in so doing, he often broke cultural norms. Uh, According to N.T. Wright, he writes a little bit about this story, and he says, in that culture, as in many parts of the world to this day, houses were divided into male space and the female space, and male and female roles were strictly demarcated as well. He says, Mary has crossed an an invisible but very important boundary within the house and another equally important boundary within the social world. He says, the public room was where the men would meet. The kitchen and the other quarters unseen by outsiders belonged to the women. Only outside where little children would play and in the married bedroom would male and female mix. And he finally says, for a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. And we think about that in our culture today, and we live in a different culture than that culture took place, than this story took place in. And in the same way, in that same culture, to sit at the feet of someone, to sit at the feet of a rabbi, meant more than just physically sitting at someone's feet. It meant that you learned from them, that you were a student of them. We find in Acts chapter 22 that Saul was someone that sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He listened to and learned from Gamaliel. And in the first century, again, in that culture, rabbis didn't teach women. Outside of being instructed in their proper gender roles according to custom and law, women didn't receive an education in that culture. So to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself, a teacher yourself. And N.T. Wright again says, Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. And Jesus affirms her right to do so. And that part of the story would have probably been pretty shocking at that time. And just like Jesus and so many other places, as he interacted with the woman at the well, the man with leprosy, the sinners that he ate with, Jesus valued people in a way that often shattered social and cultural norms. And he does it again here. He allows Mary 
to be in a place that culture said she should not be, doing something that culture said she should not be doing. And as he responds to Martha in verse 42, he reiterates that Mary has chosen the better part, the better thing, which will not be taken away from her. And perhaps in addition to these two greatest commandments, I think maybe that we also realize and learn here that uh, for anyone who would follow Jesus, it is our job to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, regardless of who we are. And I think that's an important part of what Jesus communicates here. And so that's how Jesus responds to Mary. He welcomes her to be in a place that culture said she shouldn't be doing something that culture said she should not be doing because it was important and it was important for the kingdom. So what does Jesus do in relationship to Martha? As we look at Martha and how Jesus responded to her, first of all, Jesus accepts Martha's welcome into her home. Otherwise, the story would not have gone any further. And I think that suggests that Jesus was grateful for her welcome into her home. Because in previous verses, we find out Jesus had not only just instructed the 70 that were going out that they needed to rely on people to take care of and they weren't supposed to take anything with them. They were supposed to depend on the hospitality of others. That's important. But we also find out that Jesus and his followers had just verses before been in a Samaritan village where they were not welcomed and were told to go on. And so they were not welcome and given hospitality. So to receive hospitality here, I'm sure, was a glad thing and a happy thing for Jesus to be a part of. Secondly, I want to look at maybe some of the things Jesus does not do in response to Martha. First of all, Jesus didn't initiate the dialogue that takes place, the conversation or the conflict perhaps even. Martha's the one that initiates that, not Jesus. And I would say that perhaps that suggests that maybe Jesus was not as upset with Martha as we sometimes make him out to be here. Uh, maybe he wasn't as upset with Martha about attending to the task of hospitality as maybe sometimes we make him out to be. I think maybe if he was that upset with her, if he was thinking that what she was doing was wrong or evil in some way, that maybe he would have spoken up and initiated the conversation, but he doesn't. Martha initiates that conversation. Jesus doesn't initiate the conflict that takes place. He responds to that conflict. Second thing he doesn't do is he doesn't correct or condemn Martha for her work. And I think that's significant. He doesn't tell her that what she's doing is wrong or evil or bad. In fact, Jesus commends this kind of service to the neighbor many, many times. Notably, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right before this. That service and taking care of others is important. Jesus talks all through Scripture about doing things to the least of these is the same as doing them to Him. That, you know, responding to people that are hungry and thirsty and strangers and naked and sick or in prison, doing wonderful things for them is the same as doing them for Him. Uh, Jesus in His own life uh, showed the importance of serving. And in the Christ hymn in Philippians 2, we read that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's the life of a servant. In Mark 10, we find that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this idea of service, I think, is something that Jesus was happy about. It meant much of what he talked about was service to others. And I think it'd be quite difficult to make a case that Martha was doing something wrong or evil with the work that she was doing for her guests. One could argue that the movement that Jesus started was very much about service to others, and Martha had learned that lesson quite well. So what does he do in relationship to Martha? 
Well, he responds to Martha, who initiates this conversation. It tells us in verse 40, Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. You hear the the focus on herself in those things. And Jesus, it tells us, answered her. It tells us very plainly, Jesus answered her. Now that may not seem like much, but I think there's something significant there. He acknowledged her situation. He acknowledged her concerns. He acknowledged the things that were bothering her. And the words here in the original language that are used for Jesus answering her are not words of rebuke, are not words of correction. They're just simply him responding to her, him answering her. And I think it's important that he understands who she is and where she's coming from. And we know that Jesus loved Martha and Mary. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus passed away, it tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We know that he loves her and he cares for her. So his words to her, I think, are significant. And the fact that he simply answers her is important. Knowing what we know about Jesus, instead of his response being an angry, corrective, get your act together sort of response, perhaps his response is a compassionate response. Perhaps it's a response to help her realize her circumstances, to realize that she has brought herself to a place of anxiety and distraction in the things that she is doing. And I think that that's pretty easy to get to. I know my wife and I, we have two daughters that are both in their 20s now. And on more than one occasion in their lives, they have been anxious and upset and troubled about many things. And in those times, my wife and I have tried to listen to them and give them advice. But the biggest thing we've tried to do is to help them realize that getting all upset and anxious about it doesn't help at all. In fact, it makes it worse. And when we've done those things, when we talk to our daughters in those times, we've not done it in an angry, corrective, get your act together sort of way. We've done it in a way that's loving because we care for our daughters and we don't want them to be anxious and distracted. And if my wife and I, with all of our flaws, are capable of doing that, I think it doesn't take a whole lot to think that perhaps Jesus was doing something similar for someone that he loved, that his response was perhaps compassionate to help her realize where she was at as opposed to where she could be. And as we look at his response after he answered her, he says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious or anxious, depending on your translation, and distracted by many things. Now, he starts by giving her name, Martha, Martha. I think that's significant. It's easy for us to look over that. But again, I think calling somebody by name suggests that you know them, that you see them, that you hear them, that you understand them, that you have a relationship with them. And I think it's really important here to realize that Jesus calls her by name, and he does so twice, which in Scripture, multiple times of use of things often just gives greater importance and emotion to things. And I can kind of hear that, Martha, Martha sort of sound, you know, maybe a compassionate Martha, Martha, not a, an angry Martha, Martha. And just being able to call people by name is significant. He goes on to say that you are worried or anxious. Now, here I think it's important to understand this word. The word that he uses here for worried or anxious is the word merimnaho in Greek. And it carries with it this idea of being divided into parts, meaning you're not a whole. You're all over the place, in different places just kind of torn to different places and different things, uh, and you're not whole. That's the word he uses here. I also think it's interesting that this is the exact same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, where he talks about anxiety and being worried about many things. He uses it six times in that passage of Scripture where he says things like, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
or about your body what you will wear. That word worry is the same word there. He goes on to say in that passage, um, and which of you by worrying, it's that same word, can add a single hour to your span of life. And why do you worry, same word, about clothing? Later on he says, therefore do not worry, saying what we will eat or drink or what will we wear. Uh, And then he goes on at the end to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry. That's the fifth time he uses that same word about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries. That's the sixth time of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. That passage of scripture suggests Jesus doesn't want us to worry and be burdened and be anxious by many things. And he uses the exact same word here with Martha. And I think that's significant. He also goes on to say that you're distracted or troubled by many things. And that word that's used here for distracted is the only time it's used in the New Testament is right here. And it carries with it this idea, this imagery of making an uproar like a crowd would make in an assembly. And basically, he, I think, perhaps is saying you're you're putting yourself in an uproar. And he goes on, the second part of response is this, but few things are needed, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Again, he doesn't rebuke her for her acts of service, but he does teach her that of all the things that she could do that are good and honorable things, uh, there's one that is more important than the other, being at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from the word so that then we are able to best love and serve other people. Perhaps what he's communicating here is what he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount and what was used at communion time today, to seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Perhaps Jesus was lovingly inviting Martha into his words in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today, a few takeaways perhaps for us. Takeaway one, I think, is that all of us, if we claim the name of Christ, are called to be teachers and sharers of the gospel. Uh, And I think we see that in how Jesus treated Mary in what she was doing. Uh, Maybe another takeaway from us today is that we be reminded that the most important thing we do is seek Christ, to seek an intimate relationship with Him. Uh, Otherwise, the work that we do, we risk it becoming about us like Martha did. We risk it becoming a burden instead of a joy like we see in Martha's life. And we risk it taking our focus away from Christ like it did in Martha's life. Perhaps the words from John chapter 15 are appropriate and and wrap things up quite well for us. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. In John chapter 15, he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes on for 11 verses. He talks about abiding in him 11 times in 11 verses, that being close to Jesus, because that's the source of life. That's the source of ministry. That's the source of all things. And he refers to bearing fruit six times. And I think it's a pretty easy parallel to see uh, back to those two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself because bearing fruit is what we do for the kingdom for others, uh, what Jesus does through us. And so I think uh, we see those things take place here today. And so as I use this story, again, I said this couple of the things that we want our students to, to realize. 
is that the most important thing we can teach them, the most important thing they can do is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That they keep themselves attached to the vine because that's where all growth comes from. That's where all ministry comes from. That's where all fruit is born from. And then secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself, to serve others as a result, as a byproduct of abiding in Christ, that they go and that they serve others. And that's something that I think all of us realize as well today, uh, that we need to place Christ at the center of our life and everything that we do and realize that it's him that works through us to do good things. It is him that works through us to bear fruit for the kingdom. It is him that does ministry through us when we give him that opportunity. So I'd like to close today with the uh, the words of the beloved preacher Fred Craddock who talked a bit about this passage of Scripture today. He says this, If we censure Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we condemn, excuse me, if we commend Mary too profusely, she might sit there forever. There's a time to go and do. There's a time to listen and reflect, knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. He finishes by saying, if we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, he would probably answer yes. You've been listening to a guest speaker at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help to keep those podcasts free. If you'd like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our webpage at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the Donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our webpage and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.